Let's go ahead this morning and take our Bibles and go to the book of Job. Job chapter 9. Job chapter 9. Uh, thank you for your prayers. Coming along fine on uh, healing with this uh, hip replacement surgery. And if you were wondering why I'm standing up here with a walker, that's the reason. And that's coming along well. My, my frustration is that uh, a lot of the things I like to do for my wife, she has to help me with. And uh, we were, I was coming down the stairs uh, from the office, and she said, can I, you want me to carry your Bible for you? And uh, that's usually something I do for her. But um, I, I found that two hands is not enough all the time. Especially when you're scooting around on a walker, you got both of them occupied. But anyways, it's going well. God is good. Um, we live in a country where uh, even though our health care system is far from perfect, uh, I think it's the best anywhere in the world. And uh, we get, for the most part, better than we deserve. And so I'm grateful uh, for what they can do, but I'm most grateful for the great physician because in the end, man can manipulate things, but God is the one that does the healing. So let's go ahead and take our Bibles and turn to the book of Job and take a look at chapter 9. And in verse 32, Job expresses uh, himself in his, uh, some of his frustrations and his desires in the midst of these great trials that he goes through. And in verse 32, he says of God, for he is not a man as I am, that I should answer him, and we should come together in judgment. Uh, neither is there any daysman betwixt us that might lay his hand upon, uh, both, upon us both. So in verse 32, he's saying in so many words, uh, it'd be nice if I could sit down and talk this over with the Lord. Uh, why is all this happening to me? I'm sure all of us have been here. Uh, at one time or another. And then in verse 32, he says, uh, neither is there a daysman or what we would call a mediator, someone to take God in one hand and him in the other and bring them together and, uh, and, and mediate for him. And so when we think of that this morning, I think of the man Christ Jesus. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 says, for there is one God... And one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And we started last week talking about the man Christ Jesus, and I want to continue on that thought this morning. And as I mentioned to you last week, when you look at men in general, or even any in particular, I don't care whether they're celebrities, be they politicians, athletes, educators, what area or arena in life they are, even when you read biographies of great men and women. And I like reading biographies. I like reading things like that because I like to glean lessons from the lives of others. And folks, even the greatest among us and the greatest in history outside of Jesus Christ will turn out at some point to be a disappointment. To be a disappointment. Because in the end, we are sons and daughters of Adam's fallen race. But uh, this morning, in talking about Christ, if we can, to some degree, just lift him up and draw our attention more to him, and you walk out of here thinking more about him than when you came in this morning, 
I will feel like I had accomplished something good. Uh, I had a rather rough week in certain respects, and I uh, had to sort through uh, some problems uh, for other people, mostly outside of the church, uh, to be honest with you. And it was one of those weeks where, um, I don't know if you've ever had this, either at work or otherwise, where a certain amount of negativity just sort of uh, sets in on your soul and spirit. And uh, as I continued to, to read about Christ and think about this message, it was the thing more than anything else that lifted me up. And so no wonder, Paul says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Uh, folks, we do ourselves a great favor when we keep our eyes fastened on the Lord Jesus Christ in the midst of the hustle and bustle and the affairs and the issues of this life. Uh, the first thing we talked about is found in John 7, where the temple police had been sent by the religious leaders to apprehend the Lord Jesus Christ. And they came back without him. And they said, why haven't you brought him? And they just replied by saying this, never man spake as this man. Uh, they went to apprehend Christ, and they fell under the spell of his teaching. And they said, never man spake as this man spake. And of course, we talked about that last week. And uh, that's a very true statement. Never a man spake the way Jesus spoke. And if you'll take your Bibles and turn to Lamentations in the Old Testament, one book, one book beyond, beyond the book of Jeremiah. If you look at the book of Lamentations and go to chapter 1, I want to talk to you this morning on the subject, No Man Ever Sorrowed like Jesus sorrowed. No man ever sorrowed the way Jesus sorrowed. You know, um, we sing these songs, oh, to be like him, oh, to be like him. And uh, I often wonder whose bright idea was it to sing songs like that? Because I think sometimes we don't really know what we're saying when we say that. Because Christ was a man of sorrows, the Bible says, and acquainted with grief. Now, that doesn't mean he was a sorrowful man by any means, because we're going to talk about no man ever rejoiced the way Jesus rejoiced. But I think sometimes um, we really don't understand what that all involves, being like Christ. No man ever sorrowed the way Jesus sorrowed. Lamentations chapter 1 and verse 12, Jeremiah lamenting among other things, principally the downfall of Jerusalem and the captivity and all the terrible things that went with that. And he says in verse 12, he says this, Is it nothing to you, all ye that pass by? Is it nothing to you, all ye that pass by? Behold and see if there be any sorrow like unto my sorrow, which is done unto me wherewith the Lord hath afflicted me, in the day of his fierce ang anger. Can you identify with that? Have you ever been going through something difficult and just feel like nobody else gets it? You ever been there? That's what Jeremiah is going through here. That's why he starts off by saying, is it nothing to you, all ye that pass by? And folks, the truth is, there are some sorrows that only our Savior understands. And... Um, he can uh, draw into those with us, unlike others cannot. 
And then he says, Behold, and see if there be any sorrow like unto my sorrow, which is done unto me. And so uh, Jeremiah expresses great sorrow. I think of Jesus at the grave of Lazarus. We find the shortest verse in the Bible. John 11, verse 35. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Uh, I think of Jesus uh, overlooking Jerusalem. And in Matthew chapter 23, it's a one-chapter-long rebuke of the Jewish leaders. I mean, it's the harshest thing anywhere in Scripture of a rebuke, and the Lord Jesus Christ is delivering it. And right in the middle of all of this, you can hear the Lord's heart breaking when he says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate, for I say unto you, ye shall not see me henceforth, till ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Can you just hear the Lord's heartbreak in all of that? Um, history has it that an intimate friend of Handel, as he was composing the Messiah that we're all familiar with, was in the middle of penning the words, uh, he was despised. Uh, to music. He was putting it to music. And the great composer was sobbing with tears because the work of that morning had so moved him in looking at the Lord Jesus Christ as the man of sorrows. You know, when you look at the Lord Jesus Christ and you read the four Gospels during his earthly ministry, you realize that for the most part, people did not bring Jesus their joys but they brought him their sorrows. He brought them the diseased. He brought them their disputes. He brought him, they brought him their doubts and their fears. Uh, they brought him their dissensions and their questions. They brought him their misgivings and their unbelief and their sin. They brought him the demon-possessed. They brought him their poverty. Uh, they brought him their trick questions. They brought him the dregs of society. They brought him their hunger and their thirst and their needs. And finally, they brought him their ultimate hatred and rejection by having him sent to the cross. And the Bible says he came unto his own, and his own received him not. Uh, the Lord Jesus Christ was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we say this morning, no man ever spake like Jesus, and no man ever sorrowed like Jesus. He said in Matthew chapter 26, just before his ordeal and, and, and crucifixion on the cross, he says, my soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. And you say, uh, to what value is this? I suggested a little cynically about, you know, singing, I want to be like Jesus. Do you really want to? Do you want to be put through certain sorrows? And the answer this morning is yes, because what it does is it creates empathy. 
It creates empathy. You realize this morning, every one of us in this room, if we didn't have difficulties, sorrows, and problems, uh, we, would, we would tend to be continually arrogant, hard, hard-hearted, and cold toward everyone else. Uh, we would be the kind of people that look at everyone else and just think, hey, buddy, deal with it, deal with it, deal with it. And uh, folks, the Lord Jesus Christ had empathy. Uh, D.L. Moody worked with the street urchins in Chicago and started the Sunday school movement. C.T. Studd went to the lost with the gospel in India, China, and Africa, three different continents. General William Booth dealt with the outcasts of England and the United States. And of course, the rallying cry for his, um, his organization was others, others. The Salvation Army was a gospel-preaching outfit. Yes, they were involved in philanthropy. They were involved in food and clothing and, and that type of thing, but mostly they were a gospel-preaching outfit. And the motto coming from the top right on down from General Booth was the motto of others, others. And so this sorrow uh, causes us to be empathetic. <clears throat> it causes us to be more tender than we otherwise would be. The Bible says in Isaiah 53, he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. I look at that, that phrase, acquainted with grief. Do you know when you're going through something tough, who is it that you want to talk to? Who, who's the default one that you want to talk to? It's someone that's been through the same thing. And folks, our high priest, the Bible says, is not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was at all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. And so when we come to Christ, we realize we're dealing with somebody who's empathetic to us, who's not distant and cold and unaware of our difficulties. And so the Bible says he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we, esteem, we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Many years ago, a little boy, uh, about 10 years old, lost his hand in an accident. And his parents had done everything in the world to try to console him, and he just, he just wouldn't receive it. And finally, one day, the dad says, I'm going to bring the minister over to the house tomorrow. And he said, I don't want to see the minister. I don't want to talk to the minister. And when the man came the next day, he noticed that on the minister, there was one of his sleeves that was dangling there empty. And so that man was able to reach him. He was able to reach him. And so this morning, let me encourage you that uh, whatever difficulties you have to go through in life, whatever real sorrows, and, um, and, and be careful, folks, because, you know, there's some stuff we go through I call them American problems, all right? Um, you're stuck in traffic a little bit. 
you know, you might have to turn the AC up or down. <laughs> or you go home and lo and behold, the remote's not working. <laughs> uh, let, let's not mix those things in with this, amen? I'm talking about the real stuff. I'm talking about relationship things. I'm talking about family. I'm talking about health. I'm talking uh, about finances. I'm talking about looking around and seeing a world that's coming apart at the seams. Uh, folks, how do you think it felt for Christ as we sing to go from the ivory palaces into a world of woe? Imagine what he thought every morning when he woke up and looked around him. <laughs> he had been in heaven, the perfect place, and was the object of worship of the multitudes, angelic beings and otherwise, and he comes into this sad, tired, old, sin-cursed world. Uh, folks, our Lord knows what this is all about, folks. He knows what it's all about. I think this morning that he thirsted, that my thirst might be quenched with living water. He hungered, that I might partake of the bread of life. He drank of the dregs of sin, that God would remember my sins and iniquities no more. He was separated from his father, that God remo might remove my transgressions as far as the east is from the west. He wore the scarlet of my sin, that I might be washed whiter than snow. He bore up under my burdens, that I might be made free. And folks, that's just, tip, just the tip of the iceberg. No man ever sorrowed the way Jesus sorrowed, for we have not an high priest which cannot be uh, touched with the feeling of our infirmities. And then let's take our Bibles and uh, look finally this morning at another thing about Jesus that's unique and go to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Never man spake as this man, never man sorrowed as this man. And then I want to conclude this morning with never man rejoiced like this man. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12 <clears throat> and verse 2. Notice that first word, looking. Looking. Paul tells us looking. He, he's asking us to cast our eyes in a certain direction. Looking unto Jesus. Looking unto Jesus. That's why I figure when I preach a message like this, however inadequate I am in flesh and blood with, with feet of clay, to express these things as fully as I should be able to, if I give you scriptures about Jesus Christ and you've cast your attention upon those things, then I'm doing you a great service. As I said earlier, if we can walk out of here thinking more about and more of Jesus Christ than we did coming in, uh, we will have accomplished a great good. And the Bible says here, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, now watch this next phrase, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has set down at the right hand of the throne of God. I want you to notice something interesting in this verse. Notice how these sorrows that we talked about earlier are connected to his joy. And who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Uh, folks, it was his joy and delight to go through that for us. 
these sorrows that he went through during his earthly life and the entire ordeal on the cross. These things are connected, and so they'll be connected in our lives as well. Uh, take your Bibles and look at Luke chapter 10. Look at Luke chapter 10. And may I say to you, before we go any further in this uh, matter of joy and rejoicing, uh, to listen to the modern ministry, you would think the stated goal of the Christian faith is to make you happy. Uh, this business of being a Christian and going to church is just, just a, a religious 12-step self-help group. You know, we've tried everything else, so let's see if we can make ourselves happy this way. I'm here to tell you that I'm glad for the fruit of the Spirit. Love and then joy, peace. Those things are great, and, and we all want those in our lives. But you want to know something about happiness? Happiness is some, not something that you pursue and find it in pursuit. It's something you stumble over as you're doing the will of God. It's something that just kind of uh, just jumps up on you almost as an aside or an unattended benefit. And uh, folks, I'm going to tell you this right now, as far as God's concerned, God's great goal in our lives is not about happiness, it's about holiness. It's about holiness, and modern Christian has turned that on its head, modern Christianity, and, and holiness has gone the way of the dinosaur, and now the body of Christ, at least in this country, seems to be running at breakneck speed after every sinful pleasure in the world, because after all... God wants me to be happy. Folks, in the last five years, I've heard that used by two people that were professing Christians that were leaving their spouse for somebody else. Because after all, God wants me to be happy. Folks, you talk about a convoluted lack of understanding of what life is all about much less the Christian life. So please keep that in mind. And as we look at the Lord Jesus Christ, no man ever rejoiced as he rejoiced. And in Luke chapter 10, Luke chapter 10, and uh, don't misunderstand. I, I'm, not, I'm not saying this morning by any means that we should be walking around sour and looking like we just you know, chewed on a, a slice of lemon. And, and not have any, any fun or recreation or enjoyment or to loathe happiness. I think happiness is a great thing uh, when we come up on it. The Bible says, happy is the people whose God is the Lord. But folks, when it's just total selfish pursuit of what pleases me, and that's what we have in our culture. It's called, uh, historically and in philosophy, it's called hedonism. Hedonism. And it's about, in life, you make decisions based on what makes you feel good or you enjoy or you want or your pleasures or your desires or your needs. Remember, in the last point, we talked about what? Others. Others. The worst thing you can do is live for yourself. I don't care how good at it you are, you'll become miserable. In fact, the matter, fact of the matter is, the better you are at it, the more miserable you become. I find the ha happiest people are people that are living for God and the sake of others rather than living for themselves. And we're going to see this with the Lord Jesus Christ. 
No man ever rejoiced like Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Yes, it was difficult. Yes, it was sorrowful. Yes, it was an awful ordeal to go through. In fact, in the Garden of Eden, he said, Lord, if, if, if there be any way this cup pass from me. But then he said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. There was a, a certain joy that he derived from going through that for our sake. And um, we see here in John chapter, or excuse me, Luke chapter 10, Luke chapter 10, and uh, verse 21, the Bible says, in that hour, Jesus rejoiced in spirit. Jesus rejoiced in spirit. Remember, I said to you, he was a man of sorrows, but he wasn't a sorrowful man. He said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent, and hast revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. You know, one of the things that Jesus rejoiced in, he rejoiced to see God work. He rejoiced to see God work. Don't you rejoice to see God work? Aren't you glad when you hear that somebody got saved? Aren't you glad when you, you find out some struggling Christian finally got it? Huh? Aren't you just glad to see God work? I mean, if you, God's given you some kind of mystery. Uh, if you're a parent raising children, isn't it great when you're, you're teaching them something and you see the lights go on, uh, especially when it regards to the things of God and character and important matters like that? And uh, Jesus rejoiced to see God work. In John chapter 4, he told his disciples, he says, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. And he went on to elaborate by saying, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. And to finish his work. Do you know what? The Bible says that as Christians, we are to be a peculiar people. You know what uh, makes some, of, some lost people scratch their heads about us? Is how you can enjoy the things of God. Uh, I got up this morning, and one of the things I look for is, you know, kind of getting situated. I have my little routine, and then just sitting there while it's quiet and dark outside, and just reading God's word and letting them speak to my heart. Now, you talk to the average lost person about that, and they just look at you like you fell off of a planet and landed here. Uh, I remember years ago, I was in the barber shop, and... Um, you know, in the barbershop, the guys like to talk, and eventually the talk turned to the fact that I was the pastor of this church, and one guy sitting in the chair, he goes, he goes, you know, I drive by that church all the time, he says, I see cars in the parking lot on Sunday morning, he said, I get that, but he said, I see cars on Sunday night too, he goes, is that another mass? <laughs> He said, is that another mass? You do mass on Sunday night too? Is that another group? And I said, no. I said, uh, uh, a lot of the people that are there on Sunday morning come back on Sunday night and we study the Bible together and hear more preaching and sing and fellowship. And he looked at me kind of like, wow, that's weird. And then he said, uh, you know, I go by there on Wednesday sometimes and I see cars everywhere. He goes, is that a different mass? <laughs> 
I said, no, same bunch. We just have prayer and Bible study on Wednesday night and programs for our young people. And he got real quiet for a moment. You know, there's about six or eight guys in there. I knew most of them. And finally he goes, he looks at me, he goes, what are you doing to them? <laughs> I'm, I'm feeding them Kool-Aid, obviously. Um, he, just, he just couldn't get that. Now, what he could get, what he could get is, is being on the golf course three times a week, right? Or, or retiring and spend all of his time on the golf course or, or fishing five times in a month. That, that he gets, okay? Or, or watching every football game that's on all season or during March Madness being glued to the tube with his friends and the dip and chips and the beer watching the college basketball games. That he gets, but he doesn't get the other. You know why? Because as a lost man, he doesn't derive joy out of these things. And as Christians, the Lord imparts this rejoicing that Jesus had, who rejoiced to do the will of his Father. His first recorded words when he was a young man about the age of 12 was, Wist not that I must be about my father's business, he said to his parents. And his last recorded saying on the cross just before his death was, It is finished. It is finished. No man ever spake like Jesus, no man ever sorrowed like Jesus, and no man ever rejoiced like Jesus. Do you know what? His joy was the badge of a selfless life. His joy was the badge of a life spent doing his Father's will. Do you know the contemporary crowd, the emergent crowd, tries to you know, react to the old liturgical Jesus that looked a little bit too somber and sour and turn him into a stand-up comedian. Folks, that won't stand the test of Scripture. But Jesus rejoiced in some things. Uh, the poem says, Why is he silent when a word would slay his accusers all? Why does he meekly bear their taunts when angels wait his call? He was made sin, and my sin he bore upon the accursed tree, and sin hath no defense to make. His silence, it was for me. No man yet ever rejoiced like the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And uh, once again, I am reminded uh, through my own efforts of the inadequacy to properly convey any of this to anyone, Lord. When we think of our Savior, Jesus Christ, uh, the God-man, the one who so wonderfully fulfilled the entire law in our behalf and went to the cross and was resurrected from the dead and sits at your right hand, a high priest and mediator in our behalf, that daysman that Job so longed for in the midst of his trials. Help us, Father, as we consider these matters and no man ever spake like Jesus, help us to be aware of our words and ask him to sanctify our words and consider those words before we deliver them. And Lord, be a people with a mouthful of words that praise you and give the gospel to others, that tell others about the good news of Jesus Christ dying and resurrecting for our sins. Father, no man ever sorrowed like Christ, 
And he willingly left the ivory palaces and came into a world of woe and was made a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we're reminded this morning that he did that for us. He did that for others, not himself. And in so doing, Father, it was his joy. It was his joy to do. It was his rejoicing to do your will, the will of his Father. Father, uh, impart that to all of us here this morning that know you as our Savior. And uh, Father, for anyone that doesn't know you, may this be the day of days for them. Help them to respond to the invitation, whether they're here in the building or looking in online. And Father, may they come to know this unique man, the God-man, the one who is unique in everything he did and everything he said. For in these things we pray in Jesus Christ's name, amen. If you're here this morning and you've never received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, and I don't mean became a religious person or got baptized, I'm talking about coming to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ by faith. We invite you to come forward. Let somebody work with you on this matter, have a word of prayer with you, answer any questions you might have, and get the matter settled. Let's take our hymnals and stand and turn to number 286. Number 286, hallelujah, what a savior. church. Thank you, Father, that we could be here. Thank you, God, that uh, probably every, every family here, we got more food in our house than we can eat in a day. We're, we're well fed. You know, shooting going on outside our building. We are blessed. We really are, Father. And that's so the opposite of what your son went through and the suffering that he went through for us. 
And the worst part about it, God, was he knew it was coming every day of his life. He knew it was ahead of him. And he allowed it to happen for us. Thank you so much, God. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for salvation. Thank you, God. We have good health. And we come to church, God, and just hear something from your book. Thank you for our pastor, God, that he's in that book so he can feed us. You've been so good to us. You are being so good to us at this moment. And we thank you, God. We pray that because of your goodness to us, we will turn around and in some way glorify you and, and uh, live to your, to your exaltation. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.